Uh, good morning, everyone. Always so good to gather with you and to open up our Bibles every Sunday so that we can hear from the Lord and so that we can grow in our love for Him. So uh, grab your Bibles out. You can open them up to Mark chapter 13. And um, I have a really beautiful reminder for us today, which is that we are one week sooner to the return of Jesus based off of what we learned last week. Amen? It's so good. Hebrews 10.25 says this, that we are to not neglect meeting together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. See, you might read that verse and think, wow, I'm glad I made it to church today. Not to neglect meeting. This is so good to gather every Sunday uh, to worship the Lord in the church, in his community. But Notice what it says there, that we're to do that as the day draws near. And we gather as the church today because we do truly believe that Jesus will come back for his church and that that time draws near with every single moment. So we want to be alert to it. We want to be awake to what Christ said would happen as he would come back to the earth. And in the same way that he ascended to heaven and the angels uh, spoke to the disciples who were looking on, they said, and in like manner he will come back. And I love what Paul says in the book of Romans, chapter 13, verse 11, that our salvation, speaking of that future fulfillment of all of God's eternal plan of redemption, he says this, that it is nearer now than when we first believed. So I don't know when you began to believe in Christ, but whenever that was, you are nearer now to the return of Jesus, the fulfillment of your salvation. So we gather today as his bride. We have his eager, this eager expectation that God's gonna meet us in this place. And as Rob even prayed, we hope that there would even be people in our midst this morning who do not have this knowledge of the second coming of Christ, maybe don't even have the knowledge of the first coming of Christ. And we pray that today, as you would hear the word of God preached, that the Holy Spirit would move within your hearts and you would believe what the Bible says about Jesus, the Son of God, how he came to this earth in his first coming to die upon a cross for your sins and was raised from the dead and ascended and is coming back again. And so with our Bibles open to Mark chapter 13, let's read this wonderful teaching of Jesus starting in verse 14 where we pick up from last week. It says, but when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. For alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I've told you all these things beforehand. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers of heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows 
not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It will be like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each to his work and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to be awake right now. So Lord Jesus, shine your radiant light upon us so that we may see, so that we may understand, and so that we would be alert to your coming. Thank you, Lord, that you've told us these things beforehand so that we could have comfort in knowing, Lord, your plan of redemption for the ages. God, we ask, Lord, that you would do a great work of your spirit to keep us focused and attentive to your word today and we seek to abide in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So if you missed last week's message, you're going to want to go back, and you're going to want to listen, because this teaching today is the second part of what we have called the Olivet Discourse. We are teaching that section of Scripture, which is Mark chapter 13, and it's called the Olivet Discourse because Jesus taught it while he sat on the Mount of Olives with four of his disciples as they overlooked the temple there in Jerusalem. And the disciples had questions regarding the destruction of the temple, which Jesus told them would happen. And it's called a discourse because it's one of those sit down and pay attention kind of teachings that Jesus gives. As I said last week, it's the longest recorded teaching of Jesus in Mark on a single subject, which tells us that Jesus really wanted to get the point across. But anytime you're dealing with biblical prophecy, which is what Mark chapter 13 is, is that it requires that we give our full attention that we would seek to understand God's word by the revelation of God, that we would rightly divide the word of truth. And so my role today is to speak the word of God to you with great clarity by the power of the Holy Spirit. And your role is to listen intently in praying that God would give you clear understanding by the revelation of the word of God and by the spirit of God. We both have a part to play today in understanding Mark chapter 13. And so if you're here this morning and, and maybe you're kind of feeling a little sleepy, you're kind of feeling a little bit tired, this is a great opportunity just to ask the Lord in your heart, Lord, make me alert right now to your word because I want to understand these things that you've told me beforehand. So if you just feel that right now, pray that in your heart. As we now look at the Olivet Discourse, picking it back up in verse 14 where it says, But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. <laughs> Case in point, I told you that this teaching requires that we have understanding. And Jesus said, when you see the abomination of desolation standing where it ought not be, Either you understand what Jesus is talking about because you've studied biblical prophecy or you don't at all understand what Jesus is talking about and I hope that today you would begin to understand. But before we move on to understand what Jesus means in verse 14, I just want to give you a little bit of encouragement because in the Bible, actually written within the lines of scriptures, we have those words that are in parentheses. If you saw them there in verse 14, it says, let the reader understand. And this isn't something that was added to your Bible as an editor's note. You know, there's some parts of your Bible that were added by editors, such as chapter or verse numbers or section headings. And those came later. Those, those weren't in the original text. You know, when Paul was writing his letters to the churches, he didn't start each sentence with a number in front of each of those verses. Those came later. However, we see those words in parentheses, let the reader understand, and those were not added as some sort of editorial notes. Those are actually found within the original manuscripts of the Gospel of Mark. 
And some Bible scholars and commentators would even say that Jesus may have even said those words in the middle of his teaching on the Olivet Discourse. Now, why is this important? I believe that this is important because God in his inspired word knows that some things are easier to understand and some things are harder to understand. For instance, we read in the book of Hebrews that the writer says that some some things are milk. Some things are just easier and more plain and simple to understand and to digest. But then the writer of Hebrews says there are also certain things that are meat. There are certain truths that are harder to digest. You know, he goes in right after that to talk about how Jesus Christ is high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. You're like, what? This is the point, which is that there are things in God's word that are are just hard to understand. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is from 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16, where the apostle Peter is saying some things about uh, what the apostle Paul had written. And this is what it says. It says, there are some things in Paul's letters that are hard to understand. Like that verse is actually in your Bible. And I love it because this is one apostle who is scratching his head about what another apostle wrote. And for me, that brings a certain level of comfort to know that all of us at times lack in our understanding, but here's the truth. You can always grow in your understanding, and you can always go to God and ask him that he would give you understanding, and I believe that when you ask in faith, he does. So perhaps it helps you to know this before we really dive into it, because if I'm just speaking honestly, Mark chapter 13 is a a section of scripture that is even harder for me to understand. Where, where, yes, I've given my life to studying of the scriptures and to teaching of the scriptures, and I've studied diligently, and I I think I've come away with an understanding of Mark chapter 13. I, I, I believe that I've rightly divided the word of God by the grace of God, but but I understand that this is meaty stuff. And I even understand that there are people who have come to different interpretations than what I have come to. And the reason I'm spending a good part of time speaking about this before we even dive into the rest of the text is so that you can know that you're able to grow in understanding. For some, it might come easier, and for some, it might come harder. But God is gracious to teach us when we ask him. And so I hope that today's teaching today will just give you a little bit more understanding in God's plan of redemption for the ages As we look in Mark 13, let's read again verse 14 where it says, But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not be, what does that actually mean? Well, to understand this, we actually have to go back in our Bibles to the book of Daniel, a prophetic book in the Old Testament. And because in that book, we see the same words used, the words abomination, of desolation. And in Matthew chapter 25, which is actually the parallel account of the Olivet Discourse, Jesus said that the abomination of desolation was spoken of by Daniel the prophet. And so students of Jesus would take their Bibles and they would turn back to the book of Daniel, this prophetic book in the Old Testament, and they would find what Jesus means about the abomination of desolation. The whole point of let the reader understand is to pause right there and to go back and see what Jesus is talking about. So I'm going to read three scriptures from Daniel that that use these words, abomination and desolation. The first one is Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half a week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Daniel chapter 11, verse 31 says this, Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. Daniel chapter 12, verse 11 says, And from that time the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up. There shall be 1,290 days. 
And you're like, great. I just read three more scriptures that I don't understand. And again, I, I would encourage you, because of the sake of the time that we have on a Sunday morning, to go back and look at those passages in Daniel. Again, Daniel 9, Daniel 11, Daniel 12, and to see what Daniel is referring to according to the prophecies that are given there. You yourself have to be a student of God's word. But let's understand, just simply from the very words themselves, what an abomination is and what desolation is, okay? So an abomination is a gross form of idolatry that causes God to have great displeasure. We see that word used in the Old Testament when God would see his people that were just engaged in idolatry and engaged in sin that just really saddened the heart of God. It was an abomination to him. And then desolation is this strong and complete form of judgment. To wipe something out completely would be to make something desolate. So you put those words together and you would say that there is this abomination, this filthy form of idolatry, and it's an idolatry that rouses the judgment of God so that he brings desolation to that abomination. That is what we can understand simply from the words themselves. But what Jesus means about the abomination of desolation, standing where it ought not, or in Matthew's gospel, it says standing in the holy place. We can look throughout history and see what Jesus might be referring to. And there was this event that took place during the time between the Old Testament and the time of the New Testament that serves as sort of a picture or a prefigure to this abomination of desolation. And there was a king by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. He was a Hellenistic king in the year 167 BC. And again, the Israelites were still being ruled over by the Romans. And he went in and he defiled the temple by sacrificing swine upon the altar of God. And then what he did after that is he set up this idolatrous image in the holy place for people to worship. So there was this desecration of the altar with pig's blood, and there was this abomination of an image standing where it shouldn't have been. It was the Holy of Holies. This was the place for the Jews where this was where God's presence went. I mean, even when a priest went in there, he had to wear a rope around his leg in case he was struck dead. They could pull him out. And here you had this idolatrous image standing in the holy place, and that was just awful. And there was this revolt that took place because of it, known as the Maccabean Revolt. And this is actually why Jews celebrate Hanukkah today, is because of what followed after this event. However, I see that event, that Antiochus Epiphanes, they called him Antiochus Epinanes because that means uh, crazy person, and he was this crazy man that went in, but he was only a picture or a prefigure, I believe, of an even greater, an even more grotesque abomination that will bring desolation. And the reason why I believe this is because after Antiochus Epiphanes did this, there should have been events that followed because what Jesus speaks about and what the prophet Daniel spoke about would happen immediately after is that after this abomination of desolation is set up, and standing where it ought not to be, there will be a seven-year period known as the Great Tribulation. And remember how Jesus was saying in verses 1 through 13 of the Olivet Discourse, which again, we studied last week, and if you missed it, you'll want to go back and listen. But as Christians, we are living in this world, and we are experiencing what Jesus refers to as birth pains. I told you the story of how my wife, you know, with our firstborn daughter, how we saw these signs of birth coming and we got all freaked out and, 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 and yet our daughter wasn't being born yet. And since the time of Jesus, there has been birth pains. There have been real things that have been very difficult to endure, but they are not necessarily the end. We've seen things like wars and earthquakes and famines and getting your car stolen. And, and 
And these things happen, right? But they are not the actual sign of the final days of the last days. It is, however, the abomination of desolation that is the actual sign that Jesus said to look for in order to see that the end is very near. Because in verse 14, look in your Bible, it said, Jesus said, but when you see. He is saying, keep a lookout for this one event that will be a sign that the end of the ages has come. It will be a mark that the second coming is very near, even at hand. And my view of this is that the abomination of desolation will be done at the hands of a person that the scriptures refer to as Antichrist. Now you're, man, he's really going into it. I am. This is in the Bible. This is in the Bible. The Antichrist is a person who will come into great world influence, and he will begin as one who people adore. He will bring peace where there hasn't been peace. But then he will make a turn for the worse and set himself up as one to be worshipped. Paul speaks of this man of sin, this Antichrist, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3-4. through 4, Where he says, let no one deceive you in any way. For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness or the man of sin is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. So you can see how what Paul is describing there in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3-4, through 4, how it di- directly correlates to the elements of what Jesus said in Mark chapter 13, verse 14, is that there will be this abomination that will bring desolation because it will be standing in the holy place where it's not supposed to be. And there's more that could be said of all this, such as, the need for a rebuilt temple for this to even happen. But this is as far as we're going to go this morning on what the abomination of desolation is and how the Antichrist will be the one who brings it about and how it will be the defining point of God's plan for the ages to bring in what we'll look at next, which is the Great Tribulation. I'm going to refer you back to verse 14, which says, let the reader understand. And as your pastor, if you want to go and study these things in the Word of God, and you have questions, I'll do my very best to dialogue with you and to give you clear answers from the Word of God that you might have. I would love to talk to you about these things. But we still have the rest of the chapter to consider. We're going to now pick it up, and we're going to pick it up with a pace at verse 14 again, and read down to verse 18 Check in your Bibles, it says, But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. For alas, uh, and alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. So, what Jesus is telling his disciples here is that when you see that defining event of the abomination of desolation, when that happens, it will begin a period in human history that is known as the Great Tribulation. And the Great Tribulation is a seven-year period And it happens after Jesus has caught his church up into the air in an event that is known as the rapture of the church. The rapture of the church is spoken about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 through 18, where it says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of a command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, 
will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. In my understanding of the scriptures, and again, I, I believe I'm correct in saying all that I've said so far, but you have to go and study the scriptures for yourself, study the word of God with the spirit of God, because you might come to a different conclusion, and that is fine, honestly. This is fine if in your study of the Bible you come to some other conclusion. We can all agree that Christ came once and he's coming back again, but the details of it we might differ on, but this is my understanding. And, and, and look, I believe that I have a correct interpretation and understanding of these things. Because with a plain and literal interpretation of Scripture would mean that there is a literal rapture of the church that will precede a literal seven-year period of tribulation. I don't spiritualize, I don't allegorize any of these prophetic teachings. I see them as real events that happen in real time and space, or will happen in real time and space, with the real Jesus and with real people. And my position is that if you're a Christian, you will not be on the earth for the terrible and trying time that Jesus is about to speak of in verse 14 through 18. Jesus said that if you're on the earth at the time of tribulation, and, and look, this is the case if you haven't put your trust in Jesus now. If you have not believed upon Jesus and his death on the cross for your sins, and you haven't believed that God was raised from the dead to give you an eternal hope, if you haven't accepted but you've rejected that truth, then the Bible says that you would be here at the time of the tribulation because you wouldn't be caught up with Jesus in his church. Because the church, remember, is not a building. Just because you're in a building doesn't mean you're in the church. To be in the church means that you're a child of God, that you've put your hope and your trust and your faith in the person and the work of Jesus. So you might be in a church, but you know, just because you're in a garage doesn't mean you're a car. Right? You might be in this building but do you know Jesus and have a personal relationship with him? Because that is what it means to be in his church. What Jesus gives a warning for in verses 14 through 18 is that when the tribulation period comes, people need to urgently and frantically seek shelter. Because the earth is going to go through terrible tribulation. There will be death and destruction like no one has ever heard of before. If you think that wars and earthquakes and famines are bad, the trials and the terrors of the tribulation are far worse. Jesus speaks about how terrible they'll be in verse 19. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. Jesus says, you've seen nothing like this. And nothing so terrible can ever compare either before or even what will happen after those seven years of tribulation. As a student of the word of God, you can go to the book of Revelation and see what sort of tribulation will occur. And, and you can do that in your own study, and I pray that you would. Because listen, there is nothing to be afraid of with this stuff if you are a believer in Jesus. Christians, do not be afraid to study the prophetic teachings in your Bible. Don't be intimidated by Daniel. Don't be intimidated by the book of Revelation. Read them, even if you lack understanding as you read them. Seek to have understanding, because as the church of Jesus Christ, we need to wake up to the reality of the things that are to come. We can't be found as a sleepy church. And so, if you're a Christian, there's nothing to fear in all of this. However, if you haven't, put your faith in Jesus, this is something to be warned of, and, and I would say it's actually something to be feared, because if you are rejecting Jesus Christ as the only Savior of humanity, verse 20 tells us that the great tribulation will be so devastating that no one would survive 
the judgments of God unless he relented, unless he cut short the days so that those who do trust in Jesus during that time can be saved. Because read it there in verse 20. Jesus said, and if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. So we know from the prophetic teachings of the book of Daniel how the Antichrist will come and he will seek to make a peace covenant with the Jews. And this will happen in the first half of a seven-year period. But in the middle of the seven-year period, he will break that covenant. And for the last three and a half years, he will unleash a fury against the Jewish people like nobody has ever seen. And so for 1,260 days, which is 42 months, and referred to in Daniel as a time, times, and half a time, the Antichrist will wreak havoc on the saints of the Most High to wear them down. And unless the Lord had shortened the days, they would all physically perish under the violence. And we see that God does that because he will save people during that time of tribulation because our God is a savior and there will be at that time tribulation saints. Let's see what else occurs in verse 21 to 23. And then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. Be on guard. I have told you all these things beforehand. Jesus gave us the same warning to the Christians that will live prior to the rapture, but he warns again because even during the time of tribulation, there will be false prophets and false Christs who will try to lead astray. Nothing changes. It only becomes worse. And they will even perform signs and wonders in order to try to deceive people into believing. And now you might be wondering at this point, why do we need to know all this stuff? Why do we need to, why? First, maybe you're thinking, why is all this going to happen? Isn't God a good God? Oh, God's a good God. He came to this earth to save us. And yes, he's coming back. And yes, his judgments are real. But God is merciful and patient. The reason why he hasn't come back is so that more people can be saved. We should know all this stuff. Do you want to know why? So that we can warn people. You can help people escape the terror that is to come in the tribulation. But you can only help people escape a terror that is to come if you know what the terror is. And Jesus told us beforehand so that we can know. I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord we can persuade others to turn to Jesus. It persuaded me. I remember before coming to Christ that I I heard about the rapture and I heard about the tribulation. My brother had come to Christ a few years prior and I'd heard about these things and and it sounded gnarly and I knew that I didn't want to endure through that. And it it was a warning. And it was a wake-up call. And look, salvation isn't only about escaping judgment, but it's certainly part of it, isn't it? It's not all about escaping judgment, but it's certainly part of it. See, in verse 23, Jesus said, be on your guard. I have told you beforehand, Jesus said, because advanced knowledge enables advanced preparation. Now that you know these things, you might have come in here this morning not knowing these things, but sorry, now you do, (laughs) right? I've warned you. These things are to come. The question is, are you prepared for it? Are you prepared? Will you escape the things that will come to pass? Have you accepted the free gift of salvation that is offered through Jesus Christ? Because if you haven't, you will endure the tribulation period. Now, the way to prepare for this, as I've said before, is to receive the first coming of Christ. Because if you don't accept what Jesus did at his first coming, the Bible says you'll be found sleeping at his second coming. 
and you will not be prepared because you didn't listen and you didn't believe what Jesus said beforehand. He told you these things beforehand so you can be on guard, so you can be like a person who's on watch for the master to come back. So I say with Paul, wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine his light upon you. Wake up to the reality of the things that Jesus said beforehand. Jesus has given us his revelation of future events so that no one can say, why wasn't I warned? You have been warned. God has stayed his coming because he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. God does not get some sort of sick, cosmic, sadistic pleasure from this stuff. He told you beforehand because he doesn't want anyone to experience the judgment of sin. God judged Jesus at the cross. Jesus bore the penalty of sin and endured the judgment of God so that God would not have to judge you. You can receive this free gift that you will not be judged because your sin was judged by God upon Jesus at the cross. But it's with sorrow that I say this, that there are still some who even though Jesus told us beforehand, even after he demonstrated his love so great that he left heaven and came to earth as a man and died for us while we were still sinners. There are still people who know this good news and it's the best news ever and they still reject Jesus. Many are led astray now and many will be led astray then because even though the real Jesus is so loving and so powerful and so gracious, there are people that choose their own path and they choose their own way. And all that's left after that is if you've rejected the son of God, there can be no greater way to save you. That's God's only way to save people is through Jesus. So look at verse 24 and 25. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers of heaven will be shaken. So after the seven years of tribulation, right on the tail end of it, heaven and earth will be shaken. There will be this cataclysmic, this cosmic destruction and the earth as we know it right now will endure through a final destruction the sun and the moon and the stars will all be darkened. Those universal lights that you see every morning and every evening in the sky, they won't be here anymore because they're not gonna be necessary after this point. Because Revelation says that Jesus is in heaven and Jesus is the light of heaven. There's no more need for a sun and the moon because the lamb is the light. So you ready for verse 26 and 27? Cue Jesus. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds and from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Jesus will return with great power and glory at the end of the great tribulation. And his church that was caught up together with him in the sky will come back with him to gather up those tribulation saints that were saved during that seven-year period. And God will gather all of his people to himself. He will put the, the devil chained up in a bottomless pit for a thousand years. And he'll usher in a millennial kingdom where Christ will rule and reign with perfect peace upon the earth for 1,000 years. And Jesus then gives the closing remarks of his discourse by using this analogy that can speak to us all. Verse 28 to 31. You guys all still good? Amen. Let's keep going. We're going long these two weeks. This is the Olivet Discourse. And so from the first... From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch become tender and put out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, 
but my words will not pass away. Jesus has been saying throughout the whole Olivet Discourse, be alert, be awake, be on guard, take heed, pay attention, understand. What do all those words have in common? Be aware that Christ is coming. See, we're able to tell times and seasons really well, right? We see the patterns of the seasons change and how it gets warmer and the days get longer. And we're like, it's time to go to the beach. Let's go. And Jesus said, look at the fig tree. It has patterns and seasons. And you see the signs of the branch, how the branch becomes tender and then the leaves pop out. And it's this beautiful tree. And you know that summer is near. In the same way, Jesus gave us signs for the seasons that we can look for so that we can know that when we see them, the return of Jesus is near. And the sign to look out for is not so much wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and famines. Those are birth pains, remember? Those have and those will continue to happen, maybe even increasing as the last days approach. But the sign that will make this all evident that the final end of the end is near is that the abomination of desolation will be standing where it ought not. And so for those who already received Jesus, they'll be caught up in the rapture. So for those living through the tribulation, you know what their sign will be? Where'd all those Christians go? So Jesus said, when will you see the sign? What sign? The abomination of desolation. And you know the end is near. And according to verse 30, the generation that lives during that time when the abomination of, is set up and they will, they will pass through until all that is described in that seven-year tribulation comes to pass. And Jesus said that these are his words and his words are true and his words are, 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 will be fulfilled. Verse 31 says, heaven and earth will pass away. All the stars and moon and sun are all gonna fall to the ground and be destroyed. But the words of Jesus will be remaining. They will endure. They will be fulfilled. And so his words will not pass away. And because of that, that's why we don't pass over any of Jesus' words in this church. It's why we study the Bible the way we do. Do you think I choose normally on a Sunday morning to teach on the abomination of desolation? Welcome to Calvary Chapel. If you're unfamiliar with the way Calvary Chapel does things, we teach verse by verse, book by book, through the Bible so that you can know the whole counsel of God's word. Amen? Amen. The final conclusion of the Olivet Discourse are these words of Jesus in verse 32 to 36. It says, But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son of Man, but only the Father. Be on guard. Keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. So we've seen today all of the signs that will make it evident of what Jesus has said beforehand, how he told us that it'll happen. We even know things like 1,260 days, which is three and a half years. But then Jesus says, I don't know the day or the hour. <laughs> no one does except the Father. And you're like, so wait, does Jesus know or does he not know? And, and yes, he knows, but in his humanity, as he came to this earth, he submitted himself to the Father's will. Jesus said, I don't know you. I, and this is why I think he said this. It's because he was demonstrating to the disciples what it's like to trust in the Father's plan. For me, that lets me breathe so deep. That let me put my head on the pillow last night. Because I can be at rest and I can be at peace knowing that as I started this teaching, I said that there are things in God's word that are hard to understand. And I'm good company with Jesus when I say, I don't know the exact hour or the exact date that these things will occur. But what we do have in the Bible is really what's been revealed. In this 
encouragement, to be alert and to be attentive because it can come soon. So recap. Recap. We know that Jesus came to the earth at his first coming. He took on flesh and dwelt among us. He died a sacrificial death on the cross and he rose from the dead so that he could be a savior to all the nations. The Jews first and then the Gentiles. We know that all those who put their hope and their trust in Jesus will be saved. We know that while we await the return of Jesus Christ, that the followers of Jesus will endure trials of many kind, perhaps even including persecution for loving Jesus and following his teachings. We know that there will be an abomination of desolation, which will set off seven terrible years known as the Great Tribulation. We know that the church will be caught up in the clouds prior to that to meet Jesus in the air, and that is a comfort to know. And we know that the tribulation will end with Christ setting up a kingdom with his perfect rule and reign of peace on the earth for 1,000 years. And there's some more to know beyond that. You could drill down into the details of all of this, but let's finish by just highlighting those events. And then let me ask you how you're gonna come away from this teaching today. You can either come away saying, ah, oh, man, that was and I don't understand this stuff, and I don't even think I want to know this stuff. I don't think that's a good position to take. Some people are happy to be that way and, and to be earthbound and, and not to think upon these things, but, but to think that all that there is in this life is all there is, that this is the best it will ever be, is that if, if I've handily... Pro Hand, uh, rightfully handled God's word today. I pray that it would be an encouragement for you to be more alert, more awake to the reality of Jesus and the reality of the things he's spoken. Don't settle for any less than what Jesus has revealed. Next, you can say, I understand this stuff. You might even say, you know, well, hold on, you're gonna get an email from me this week because I know some stuff more than you know. Where it's like, okay, cool. <laughs> I... I I think I've done a, as best as I know how within how God made me to understand this stuff. But, but I don't put a date on anything. I don't, I'm not going to pull out the news and start referencing stuff for you. Some people might do that, and that's fine. But, but listen, I want to teach you the scriptures. As your pastor of this church, I want to teach you what is in God's word. If the Bible has no pen, I have no tongue. I don't want to speak to you about things that the Bible doesn't have in it. And so if I've misspoken on anything today, which I'm fully capable of, that's on me. But it's God's word that will endure forever. And I believe that I've been faithful to you to declare the word of God. And the third approach you can take, which is the one I take, is that what I know, I trust God to fulfill. And the things that I don't know, I trust God to fulfill. God operates apart from what I know and apart from what I don't know. He always wants me to know more and I'll be responsible for the things that I know, but God is God and I am not and therefore I take what he said in his word and I'm alert to it. And I know that I don't know everything. I think I have a pretty good understanding of the timeline of things for the last days, but I don't know the exact timing and so because of that, I'm alert, I'm awake to what Jesus will do and everything I'm watchful and ready for his coming with eager anticipation. And I pray that you would think the same way too. Now, we are one day sooner. We're, we're 45 minutes, I don't know how long I've been teaching, we're 45 minutes sooner to the return of Jesus. And that's so beautiful to know. Let me end this teaching in the way that Jesus ended it. He says, and what I say to you, and by that he's saying to the disciples he was speaking to them to, to, at that time, I say to all, that's, that's us now, the disciples now. What I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning. 
God, thank you for the revelation of your word. Thank you that you've spoken these things beforehand so that we can be sober and alert and ready and on guard. Lord, we do not want to be found sleeping, and so I say it again. No, I I don't say it again. You say it. I pray you say it right now to the hearts of those who have not hoped in Jesus. Say those words, Jesus. Awake, O sleeper. Awake, O sleeper. God, wake them up by the Spirit of God and let the light of Christ shine upon them. We know that the God of this world seeks to blind the minds of the unbelievers because as soon as they know, as soon as they understand that Jesus is king and that he's coming back, that came once to die for us, oh, the veil is lifted and they see the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord Jesus, and I, I mean this literally, Jesus, shine your light upon the minds of the unbelievers today who may be in our midst. And for those who do believe, God, I pray you shine your light so that they can go out and be lights to this world, warning people about the things that are to come, offering them the free gift and the free invitation of Christ to receive salvation, which they received. And when they received it, they believed that they are one day sooner to your appearing. So come back, Lord. The Spirit of the church, say, come back. We know, Lord, that for some, we say, to do that, Lord. Make us a church, Lord, that goes out with the gospel. Make us a church that will will send and be sent. Lord Jesus, thank you for this church. Thank you for the good work you've begun here. And Lord, thank you that everything you start, you will bring it to completion. We pray it all in the precious and the mighty name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, amen.